You are now listening to the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast, where we talk all things related to mental health, life lessons, and the culture. My goal is to help each and every listener pursue and center wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Shonda, licensed clinical psychologist. Now let's get into it. Somebody say it's a confidence for me. It's a confidence for me. I just want to say it confidently. Say it's the confidence for me. It's the confidence for me. Um, and based on those traumas that we experienced during slavery, some of those same behaviors, the attitudes, um, you know, the belief systems that we adopted as slaves can be passed down to generations after that. Um, and that is why we see like the hyper. Yeah, amen. You're a treasure, um, Dr. Chandra Reynolds. Yeah. Uh, thank you so I'm much. Just shutting up and listening. I'm learning so much. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You are now tuned in to the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast, where we talk about all things related to life lessons, mental health, and the culture. I'm your host, Dr. Shonda, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist, and it is my pleasure, it is my privilege to be back here with you yet another week talking about psychology, faith, Black culture, lifestyle, and everything else under the sun. I missed y'all. Did y'all miss me? If you did, I need you to go ahead and put it in the comment section. Y'all, last week, I could not give you an episode. Like, I was not in this space. I actually had an amazing guest lined up who actually agreed to reschedule to next week. So hopefully that episode will go live next week. But your girl was under the weather. Like, I could not do anything. I had the chills. I was cold. I was sweating. Like, and I, I don't usually get sick like that. So I knew something was off. Um, you know, I woke up one morning, I felt, I'm like, yeah, something ain't right. I tried to go to the gym. I worked out for an hour while I'm working out. I'm like, yeah, this, this don't feel right. I get back to my apartment. I try to get, see some, uh, clients every 15 minutes after my meetings, I'm taking a nap. I'm like, yeah, this ain't it. So I decided to just take the whole week off and allow myself that time to rest and recover. Y'all, when I tell you, uh, like I'm, I'm so appreciative of my friends and family who reminded me the importance of taking time off to rest. Because if it was up to me, I would have attended every appointment. I would have had all my podcast recordings. I would have uh, tried to keep every client that week. Like I would have tried to do it all because that's the type of person that I am. Like I like to, um, you know, persevere and to not, you know, succumb to, to sickness and to illness and things of that nature. But I really do thank God for people in my corner. Um, my homegirl, Brittany from the intimacy firm, uh, my sister, my mom, my, my, like my parents, like everybody is like, yo, you just need to take off that time to rest because your girl was going through it and your girl was going to try and continue to, you know, live life as usual while under the weather. Um, and so, you know, I, I know that's not, that's something that a lot of people might, I don't know, like a lot of people might feel as though as mental health providers that we got it all together. You know, we know how to take take off and give ourselves time to rest and relax and re relate, relax, release, do all those beautiful things. Um, without feeling that guilt associated with it. And so <laughs> one thing that I definitely experienced last week, even though I was sick, even though I was, you know, I had the chills, I was cold, I was shivering. I'm over here like, dang, am I wasting my time? Sis, you sick. Like, how are you wasting time? Just sit back and rest. And so um, that guilt associated with rest is real. 
It's so real. I could have a whole podcast on that. The guilt associated with rest and overcoming that because I experienced that last week, y'all. Like when I tell you I was thinking about I'm trying to recover, but I'm also thinking about like, dang, I had to cancel that meeting about a sponsorship. Dang, I had to cancel that meeting uh, for my clients. Like, I, dang, I had to reschedule that podcast recording. And I, that's all I could think about. All I could think about was things I should be doing. But as human beings, we have to allow ourselves to be people. Like we we have to allow ourselves that time to be able to rest and to um to to restore the the things that that to replenish our bodies, right? Because at the end of the day, we're human. We are not machines. We are expected to rest. We are commanded to rest, right? And so, if we're not taking the time out of our lives to rest, then we're going to have to make the time for illness. And so, last week I had that that harsh reality check. Um, but I am going to say it is a pleasure to be back. If y'all missed me, I need you to put it in the comment section. I want to feel the love. Uh, so yeah, y'all, your girl's back for action. Again, I'm going to have that guest next week. So hopefully next Wednesday, you guys can get that podcast recording. But this week, we're going to be talking about something that is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, so before we get started, if you are listening to... So first off, if you don't know... Those of you who are listening to the audio version, the audio version of the podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher every single Wednesday. Every Wednesday, it will be available there for you unless there's a time where I'm sick or I'm taking a break or what have you. But every Wednesday, you can go ahead and listen to my podcast. So what I need you to do is I need you to open up your device. I need you to go to Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to your podcast and go ahead and follow the podcast. Follow the Paging Dr. Shonda podcast. All you got to do is go into the podcast. I'm going to show y'all exactly how you do it. You go into the podcast and you click this button up here, the, the check mark. And that's how you follow the podcast and you'll be notified every single time an episode goes live. Make sure you listen to it. Um, and also make sure y'all are rating and reviewing because that helps with the podcast numbers. So if you are listening to this Go ahead and rate and review the podcast. And while you're there, go ahead and screenshot it and put it into your story. Thank you so much for those of you who have been putting them in your story. I really love and appreciate the energy that y'all provide uh, because, again, this is my passion. I love doing this. I love being able to provide information to y'all. All right. So uh, next thing. So y'all know every, so we said every Wednesday, the audio comes out every Thursday, the video podcast or the podcast comes out. And that is where y'all can listen to it and y'all can watch it on YouTube. YouTube is the preferred method, but I also provide it to my uh, Facebook friends. So on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, I have a few Facebook pages that run it live on Thursdays, but uh, again, YouTube is the preferred method. So if you got a chance, go ahead to my YouTube page and subscribe, 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 uh, leave a comment, like it. It helps with the numbers. Don't be a hater. Haters will watch this thing and not like, not comment, not share it, not do anything. Uh, so they just be watching from the window, just peeping through the window. I don't want you to be a window watcher. I want you to be actively engaged, be actively engaged. So, um, so yeah, so, and I know I'll be talking facts. I know y'all really appreciate the information that, that, uh, y'all gain from it. So just do me a favor and support it that again, that is how we get 
our numbers up. That's how we get more listeners. That is how we get sponsorship. Uh, so I need y'all to go ahead and do me a favor and subscribe, like it, share it, comment, and do all those things. All right, y'all. So it is my pleasure to go straight into our Hot Off the Press segment. And the Hot Off the Press segment comes from the Shade Room. Y'all know the Saints love the Shade Room. The Hot Off the Press segment is where we talk about mental health in the news. And that's specifically in a, a musician, an artist who goes by the name of Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow, it was highlighted by the Shade Room. He said that everyone in this in his generation has mental health issues. And that was a big thing because they again they posted it on the shade room and other media outlets and um people were just kind of posting whether they agreed or disagreed with Sleepy Hollow. So I want y'all I want to hear from y'all. So if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, I want you to either put it in the comment section or um in the review section or you can shoot me a DM, let me know your thoughts. You can write it in the comment section on the Facebook or the YouTube, but let me know, do you agree or disagree with Brother Sleepy Hollow? Because I feel like Sleepy Hollow said a whole word. He said that, again, everybody in his generation has mental health issues. Um, so I agree and disagree with this, and I'm going to tell y'all why. So when it comes to like, okay, mental health issues, um, basically he's saying like mental health, like uh, emotional disturbances, significant emotions, um, significant difficulty with emotion, uh, mental health, right? And so he's saying that this is specific to his generation, like everybody in his generation has it. Um, my thing is, and I just got a notification that my computer is about to die, so give me one second, but I can multitask because your girl's multi-talented. Um, but yeah, like I feel as though everybody, I, I think as Black people, we experience trauma, uh, related to being black in America, right? Um, and so I feel as though, you know, plenty of generations. I feel like the baby boomers, like generations before, you know, the the um, the enslaved period. I feel as though black people in America experience mental health concerns. Yes, um, but I think. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think that... What makes it feel like, oh, my generation or Gen Z or uh, millennials or we we are all have we're all having mental health issues. I think it feels that way because I will say that Gen Z is probably the most unapologetic generation when it comes to endorsing that they have mental health um, things going on and act and not being afraid to identify it and to cope with it and to go to therapy about it. Like I've never seen a group of people who. I've never seen a group of people like anywhere just be so um, excited about therapy and just like so open about it. Right. So like I have, you know, so many times you might hear people say things like, oh, uh, my friends were talking and uh, you came up, Dr. Shonda. Or like um, I was talking to my friends and we were all talking about what our therapist said. Like it's, it's more unapologetic in this generation. 
because like these, this group of young people, again, like they're fearless when it comes to identifying mental health concerns and also receiving the treatment that they had, uh, which is necessary. So I don't think that Mr. Sleepy Hollow is wrong, but I definitely want to hear what y'all had to say. Um, and based on what, you know, the comments that I'm seeing, it sounds like a lot of y'all agree with him. So brother Sleepy Hollow had a word. He had a whole word about the generation being, um, having mental health issues. So Brother Sleepy Hollow, if you ever want to be on the Paging Dr. Shauna podcast, come through so we can further dissect uh, your statement. You know, you can talk about some of the things that you, what you meant behind that. I would love to have that conversation. All right. So we're going to go ahead and transition into the topic today. So I am very excited about it. And I know I say that every single podcast, but it's really going to be uh, interesting uh, because if I can be honest with y'all, I haven't really reviewed this information yet. So just to give you a backstory, um, a few days ago, uh, I actually get this question a lot via DM, but a few days ago, a young lady reached out to me and asked me, okay, how do I become a therapist? How do I become a psychologist? And when she asked me that, I realized like, huh, I haven't really posted my YouTube video that I had previously recorded um, over a year, almost two years ago regarding how to be a psychologist. Um, this was this is a, a YouTube video that is my most watched video to this day. Um, literally last week, somebody commented on it because YouTube is different. It's very searchable. So if somebody's searching like, dang, how do I become a psychologist? My video pops up because y'all have been showing it so much love. And so, yeah, I realized like, OK, I don't think I shared this information yet. So um I figured that it would be dope for me to do like a reaction video and to also share this information with you all once more, just in case you hadn't watched it yet. So um, I am going to do a reaction video. I thought it would have been really cool to, to again, watch it together with you um, to respond to some of the things that I was saying. At this time in my career, when I recorded it again, two years ago, this was like right when the pandemic started. Um, I can tell because I did my hair myself. <laughs> I did. I never braid my own hair. So I had like twists that I, I YouTube on how to do because no salons were open during the pandemic. So I was like, yeah, this was definitely during the pandemic, right when it started. So, um, yeah, my hair was done by myself. Um, and also this was during the time where I was. So I had finished school. I finished. Um, I, I just obtained my degree. And I was transitioning. No, no, no. I obtained my degree. And this was a year after I just, yeah, a year after I got my degree. And I had just a month ago, I had finished my postdoctoral fellowship at Johns Hopkins. So that's when I had recorded the video. At that time, I was in a transition period. I was doing, I was transitioning from being a full-time employee of Johns Hopkins. My postdoctoral fellowship was over. Um, it was a year-long fellowship. It was over at that time. And I was transitioning into like trying to figure out, OK, what am I going to do um, during this limbo period of being um, a, a psychologist that's not that's pre-licensed uh, because I was still studying for my EPPP, which most people do after the uh, completing the postdoctoral fellowship. So at this time, I was I had just finished my postdoctoral fellowship and I was trying to figure out like, OK, what contract work am I doing? So I just signed a contract with a private practice in D.C., where I was going to start seeing clients there. And they kind of opened the door to um, me being a private practice owner and also doing some other contracts here and there. 
Um, but that's what I was like primarily doing. And, and I was doing like report writing and um, just various contracts. So again, I was not in the current position that I am in now where I have my own practice. I have my own things that I'm doing. I was more so contracting my services out. So I'm curious to see like where my mindset was, some of the things that I had told you guys about this journey. Because again, like at that time, I was in pretty much like a limbo. Like I was like, yeah, I can you know, do these things, but am I going to be where I want to be? Like, am I going to be successful? Am I going to be satisfied? I, and I ain't going to lie, like a little bit of fear crept in at this time. So I feel like being some, being a person who's like right now, um, I have been in my private practice full time since March in comparison to where I was, where I was contracting out and I didn't have my private practice. I want to watch this together with y'all. Y'all can get some nuggets and I can also provide tips and strategies on being on the opposite side of a license of being a licensed clinical psychologist. So I hope y'all have y'all pens and papers out. We're going to go ahead and watch this together. I'm a little nervous because I don't know what I said, uh, what the you know video looks like. Um, yeah. So we're going to do what it do. All right. Let's go ahead and share this. Hope y'all can see it. Let's see. Hmm. Okay, we'll do it that way. All right, here we go. Look at this intro. Y'all, this was a, um, I'm going to stop it every now and then, but <laughs> real quick, that was a photo shoot that I did with my homegirl, Brianna. This was for my graduation photo shoot. So this was a photo shoot back in 2019. Shout out to Brianna. Um, and I also, my sister still makes fun of me to this day. That is my um, footage from my graduation. So I hired a camera crew. Yes, I did. Uh, for my graduation, I had two two or three camera people there capturing these moments because I know like this is something I've been waiting for. So uh, y'all getting the full effect here. It's a blessing to see With their heads up to the sky. Hey, what's up everybody? So you are now watching Paging Dr. Shonda. I'm Dr. Shonda and welcome to my YouTube channel. Before we get started, please go ahead and make sure that you click that subscribe button so you can stay up to date with everything that I am posting. In addition, I want to give a shout out to my clothing line, Minds of the Culture. This tea says we have PTSD too. And this shirt specifically spreads awareness to PTSD in the Black community. I am stuttering today, but that is okay because I'm going to keep on going. Um, so if you're watching today, I want you to go ahead, get your pens and your papers, because I'm going to be dropping knowledge on how to become a psychologist. The reason why I wanted to do this video is because I get lots and lots of DMs asking like, what is the process of becoming a psychologist? And what does it take? Was it hard? Was it easy? What were some of the harder aspects? How did you choose your program? And so I figured that this video would probably be the most efficient way for me to answer all of your questions. So again, if you have any more questions, please make sure that you comment them below so that I can answer them as quickly as possible. So the first question that I have is, what is a clinical psych? Um, I'm just going to say this real quick, and this is no arrogance. I know when people watch like videos from a year or two years ago, they're like, oh, my God, my videos are so improved. Um, and I, I promise I don't mean to be arrogant, but your girl had it even back then. Like, do y'all see this energy? Like, <laughs> um, and if you're listening to the audio version, I encourage you to watch the YouTube video. But somebody give me my own TV show, period. 
psychologist. So a clinical psychologist is an individual who is able to assess for, diagnose, and treat mental health disorders. So I already have a degree in clinical psychology. I'm actually working toward licensure hours. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. And I'm also studying for my ECCP exam, which is basically um, the national state exam for, not the national state, but the national exam for psychologists. After passing the ECCP, then you're allowed to take state-specific exams in order to license you for those specific states that you want to practice in. So that is the one of the things related to uh, psychology, and that's what separates clinical psychologists from other types of psychologists, such as um, organizational and industrial psychologists or business psychologists and uh, developmental psychologists and research psychologists. There are tons of different people that operate in the sector of psychology. However, clinical psychologists specifically relate to and for those of you who are wondering, clinical psychology takes the longest to complete um, and has the most amount of like clinical hours you have to complete, postdoctoral fellowships, internships, like all those things. And I'm going to explain that a little bit more in the video. But um, that's also a question that I get. Like, do they are they the same length of time to to um, obtain clinical concerns? All right. So um, a question that I frequently get in my DM is, hey, Dr. Shonda, how did you know that you wanted to be a psychologist? So, you know, I always talk about on my Instagram page what drove me to this field. And honestly, it, I knew it was my calling to help people. I always enjoyed helping people. Um, ever since I was a kid, I always enjoyed just like help lending a helping hand to other people. And that just kind of like trickled over and matriculated to my career. I enjoy talking to people helping them through and guiding them through teaching them skills on how to mitigate uh, mental health concerns um, additionally so you know growing up in the church I always saw how you know people in the church would experience these different symptoms of depression and anxiety and they wouldn't seek therapy they wouldn't seek counsel from professionals in order to help mitigate those issues and so you know one of my callings I feel like is to bridge the gap between black clergy and mental health clinicians so that we can better um, treat the African-American population that's another reason okay so being African-American, obviously, um, I often saw how there were health disparities in my community that were not addressed simply because there aren't enough culturally competent psychologists out there. Um, and what I mean by culturally competent is um, an individual who is trained and who uh, basically knows like how to be sensitive to someone's cultural perspective and the things that they um, come into the room with educationally in terms of their socioeconomic status, in terms of their race, in terms of their ethnicity. How do you be sensitive to that individual? Um, and it's really important to, to be that because when you when you treat individuals, you're treating the entire person, or at least that's how I try to practice. Um, so making sure that you're culturally competent is definitely something that's necessary in the psychological field. And that's what drove me to want to be a doctorate level psychologist. Did you know that only 5.2% of individuals who are psychologists in the United States are African-American? 5%, like that's it, 5.2%. So those numbers actually vary. So if if some per, somebody might like Google that number and be like, oh, it actually says 2%. Um, another number might be 5%. And you, you might see other people like saying and posting other things. Um, it's all depending on like what the type of psychology we're talking about. Um, but I do believe that clinical psychology is more close to um, is uh, closer to that 2% range. So only 2% of all psychologists in America are black. And I really just got to give all praise and glory to God because um, 
throughout my doctorate studies, it was always like a, a level of doubt in my head. Like, am I going to actually be able to do this? There's not enough black psychologists out there. How am I going to be one of the ones to kind of overcome some of these disparities and barriers that people have put in place and organizations have put in place that has not allowed um, black people to be psychologists today? Um, and so, like, I, I truly do thank God for for guiding me through this process. So I figured there just aren't enough of us. So why not be one of those individuals? So I'm part of the five feet two, <laughs> um, along with a few of my other colleagues. So, you know, I'm grateful that God called me to this. I'm grateful that I get to stand with so many of my uh, brothers and sisters. You know, I stand on the shoulders of my elders who, who definitely paved the way for Black psychologists across America. So it's definitely something that, you know, was embedded in me at a very young age. Okay, so another question that I received, how did you know that you wanted to be a psychologist as opposed to a master's level mental health professional, like an LPC or an MSW or an LCSW? Um, just asking because between an MSW and PhD, um, so this person is just kind of like weighing the pros and cons of each. So I've been there, um, which is why I can speak to it. So the reason why I chose not to just stop at the master's level, so I did earn a master's degree in psychology um, from the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. I pursued my uh, master's degree in clinical health psychology. It was a very rigorous program. I really much, very much enjoyed it, but that goes back to my saying about one, there aren't enough black psychologists. Two, um, the psychology field, being able to be a psychologist at the doctor level sets you aside from people who practice at the master's level. Not saying there's any wrong with that because you know master's level clinicians I feel like some are, I know some who are more competent than some of the psychologists with PhDs that I know um, so it's not a matter of being more educated or less educated but it's more so a matter of clinical psychologists are able to administer tests so when you're a clinical PsyD or PhD you're able to do um, IQ tests you're able to do achievement tests you're able to do personality tests and for me personally I felt it, it was very important for me to have this experience experience and to be licensed in order to be able to do this because I primarily like to work with children and adolescents. Usually when I have a child or an adolescent who comes into the room, typically they're not going to be as open and forthcoming with every single little thing. They might not be open about, you know, depressive symptoms that they might be experiencing or anxiety symptoms or things that they may have seen growing up or trauma. They're less likely to disclose these things. However, when you're able to administer tests, the test is usually that thing that can pick up things that individuals may not be willing to say in therapy. Um, so, you know, I've experienced this. I'm sure other doctor level clinicians experienced this where they were able to administer a test and find things and pick up on things that the, their individual they were treating weren't disclosing in therapy. So I think that's one of the primary differences between a master's level clinician and a doctorate level clinician. Additionally, um, I would say that the doctor level clinician, you're able to facilitate more leadership roles. So again, I know LPCs and LCSWs who have had leadership roles, who were in private practice and all these great things. Um, but for me personally, like I want to be in policy. I want to be that person who's at the table making decisions for our black kids and, you know, making policies for the black community. So I figured that a doctor degree will probably give me the most power of being able to um be more respected with regards to like uh, some of my colleagues. So, uh, you know, that's the reason why I choose the doctorate level is as opposed to staying at the master's level. Okay. So let me just uh, stay there a little bit. 
first of all, y'all could tell this was really in the thick of the pandemic because look at my nails. Like I had no nails on. And yeah, anybody who knows me, if you've been following me for any length of time, like I live for a full set, honey. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't have any nails on. Your girl was struggling. Um, next thing. So I realized that when I responded to that question, I think I, I danced around it a little bit because I was afraid of offending people. I was afraid of offending people who were master's level clinicians or people who weren't clinical psychologists. And um, yeah, like I, I realized how I wasn't as straightforward as I could have been. So I'm just going to backtrack and correct some of that information. Um, because people still got offended. People were still under the comments talking about, you don't know what you're talking about, master's level and the only difference, da, 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 da. All right, so let me just say this. I said that, you know, there's no, there's no, um, I guess, uh, deference level. There, There's no um, difference in terms of deference when it comes to like a, a clinical psychologist, a PhD clinical psychologist or a doctor level clinical psychologist in comparison to, um, an MSW, LCSW. There is. Okay. I'm correcting myself today as of uh, when is this podcast launching? Um, July the 11th at 11 o'clock at night. Like it, it's a difference, right? And uh, again, originally I did not want to offend people, but the reality is the highest level of the highest degree in mental health is a clinical psychology doctorate degree. And I think I would again, it was something I didn't feel comfortable saying back then because I didn't want it to come off as being like elitist in any way. I didn't want it to come off as being like I'm bashing anybody. But again, it's no knock to anybody. I know I know six figure earning MSWs and LCSWs and there's nothing and LPCs and there's nothing wrong with it. But if we're being real, the highest degree in mental health is the doctorate level in clinical psychology or in, in psychology, point blank, period. There's um, no other way around it. And if you don't believe me, that's something you can Google as well. And you can also assess, like, again, how many years it takes to obtain this degree. Like, this ain't no walk in the park. Like, this takes years of uh, competency exams and, um, you know, testing. And you, you got to you got, they make you practice on family and friends before you can even go on any type of internship. Like it's very intense and it's very rigorous and it is the highest. So just wanted to correct that right there for anybody who's offended. Y'all can see me in my DM period. So how did you know that you wanted to do PsyD as opposed to PhD? Is PsyD better? So I want you guys to listen very closely with this one. So it's not necessarily that one is better than the other. It's not necessarily that one is more respected than the other, because that's another myth. Um, but it's more so about what you are interested in doing. So for me personally, I'm more so interested in the clinical work. I love working with clients. I love working with diagnoses. I love working with families. Therefore, um, the research... Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's your boy, Spitty, here from DGB, a.k.a. Dirty Glove Bastards, Off the Porch Podcast. Now, if you're a fan of artist interviews, then make sure to check out and subscribe to Off the Porch, a show that interviews everybody from the dopest up-and-coming artists, your favorite OGs and legends, street comedians, directors, and other influential people from the culture. And it's brought to you exclusively by Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip-hop, powered by creators. Angle, I'm interested in it, but I'm not interested in it like full time and to really have dedicated a lot of my academic pursuits to. So PhD programs are very research heavy. 
And so that's one of the primary differences between PhD and PsyD. So PhD tends to be very research heavy and PsyD is a bit more clinical heavy. Now, granted, I do know PhDs who still are able to work in like clinical settings. Um, I know PsyDs who work in research settings. It all depends on the, the parameters of your, your um, program and how the program is ran and whether or not they offer like a ton of research. So honestly, that's going to be, have to be something that you research on your own and you kind of like figure out, you know, whether a particular school or a particular PhD program or a particular PsyD program is primarily research or primary clinical um, and try to figure out like where do you see yourself going in life uh, oh I'm sorry additionally so PhDs I find um, typically they like to go into academia so teaching at uh, you know the, the undergraduate graduate or uh, doctorate level and things of that nature so again um, I know scientists who still are able to teach so honestly it's kind of give or take like it's, it's pretty much dependent on what exactly you see yourself doing it's not much of a difference however i will say that again the academic program tends to be a bit more research heavy with regard to the phd but you know i'm sidey and i also teach at the doctorate level as well as the undergraduate level so it's it's not you know i don't see it being as much of a difference as it was you know probably and also just so that you guys uh, just to put it into more context Again, like you can be a PhD clinical psychology, meaning research heavy and still go into um, a private practice like my homegirl, Dr. Afia. She's been on the podcast before. She's she's PhD. She's heavily researched. Like I always tell her, girl, you got about 50 articles out there, um, probably more. Uh, but she also has a private practice. So you don't have to be married to one or the other. You can absolutely do both and you don't have to choose. That's one of the reasons why I love this field so much is because it's so versatile. So yeah. Oh. <laughs> there we go. 10 years ago. Okay, so I hope this information is helpful to you all. So we're going to keep right on going. My computer's a little frozen, so I'm going to take this time to give you a little plug. Make sure that you are following Minds of the Culture. So Minds of the Culture is our Instagram as well as our Facebook page. Also, make sure that you're following Minds of the Culture on Instagram as well as on Facebook. Download the app so you guys don't have to constantly ask me. And I don't mind when you ask me about like a therapist, who's a good therapist you can have. But also there's a resource out there. It's called Minds of the Culture. It's a dope app that has plenty of therapists and you'll be able to localize it from in the specific area that you live in. And we have some amazing things coming up for May Mental Health Awareness Month, so be sure to stay on the lookout. Um, additionally, again, make sure that you purchase my tea. Um, we have a Black Mental Health Matters tea. We have the we have PTSD two tea. So these are again teas that help to bring awareness to issues pertaining to the Black community. All right, so my computer is up and running, and here we go. Can you elaborate on how you chose your school and why? Also, Good what's question. the application process like? These are all um, listener or um, uh, not listener because I didn't have a podcast at the time. These are all uh, follower based questions. So these are questions that my followers DM me.
Okay, so specifically related to my school. So again, I came from a master's program that was rigorous, um, very well known in the Philadelphia area for its doctorate program as well. Um, one of the reasons why I chose to go to the school that I, I graduated from is because of the theoretical orientation. And what I mean by that is every school has a specific theoretical orientation that they adhere to, or basically the type of therapy that they teach and the type of therapy that they encourage their students to facilitate when working with clients. So the school that I previously went to primarily focuses on cognitive behavioral therapy. And so because I had a master's program that we were pretty much um, you know, learning cognitive behavioral therapy techniques in every single class, I figured that I wanted to branch out in other therapeutic techniques in a different school at, at the doctor level. And so the school that I graduated from emphasizes cognitive behavioral therapy. They also emphasize family systems therapy, working in the family sector, as well as psychodynamic therapy. So we offer all different types of trainings in those three different theoretical orientations. Now, if you see yourself primarily as a CBTist, I would encourage you to look at CBT programs. If you see yourself as primarily psychodynamic, there are some psychodynamic programs that are out there. If you see yourself as a family systems person or a um, self-psychology person or um, positive psychology, I know UPenn has a great program there. So it's all about the type of psychology that you see yourself doing in the long run and seeing what program best suits your interest there. So that is how I went about finding my program. Additionally, you want to see what the professors have to offer there. And what I mean by that is every professor is different. They have different interests. And for me personally, I have a specific interest in culture and diversity issues. So the school that I graduated from, they had our um, professor was very big in culture and diversity. Um, you know, she did a lot of work in working with Afghan refugees. Um, I think she actually helped to. She did some major stuff in uh, the, the Middle Eastern mental health sectors. And, you know, she's just an overall amazing woman. And I figured, you know, it would be great. Shout out to Dr. Nazareth. That's who I'm talking about. Um, Dr. Nazareth, if you're catching this, I know we're LinkedIn friends. Uh, salute to you. and We definitely honor you. Um, but, yeah, so this is all great information. So, again, one of the I, I will when I'm looking back on this video, I would say that's probably one of the best decisions that I made when deciding to choose a school. Because, like I said, my this master's degree program that I was in was very CBT focused. However, I'm currently working with children and adolescents. You can't work with a child and an adolescent without including their family. So I'm grateful to have gotten that experience and family family systems and you know that type of therapy from my my uh, doctor program that I chose because I chose to work with the population in which I'm currently working with. So yeah, still good information. Go, go girl, go Shonda. <laughs> to be able to work under her tutelage. She actually chaired my dissertation and it was just great to be under her knowledge. And so again, you want to make sure that when you're looking at these different programs, you're able to spot a professor or instructor who identifies with your values and who you know has the same type of um, goals that you have, who accomplish things that you want to accomplish, who are involved in organizations that you want to become involved in, because your professors aren't just going to be there just for class. Essentially, they're going to be your mentors. So you want to be able to have um, professors who have done the things that you're trying to do. And so that was, again, a part of the things that I was looking at when I looked at my different programs. So my smoke detector is going off. Hopefully you cannot hear that in this video. So I'm going to keep on talking. 
Um, additionally, so you want to look at the reputation of your school. Does your school have a history of being able to match their students with APA internships? And we'll get to the APA internship later. However, that's a very important statistic. So if you're looking at a school and they have a very low rate of being able to get their students to good internships, that's probably not a good sign. Um, additionally, what is the ETPP pass rate of their students? So again, is your school preparing you to be able to take the national exam for psychologists? If not, you might want to look at a different school. So these are all things that you really want to be looking into if you are looking at the, um, the psychology program. So what was the hardest part? Dr. Shonda, I'm reading another question. Dr. Shonda, what was the hardest part about your program? Sis, all of it, every single last thing of it was difficult. I don't remember an easy day that I had, like not one, um, seriously. So all of the courses that I had taken were hard. Uh, every single exam that I had taken was hard. And honestly, I attribute my success to Jesus Christ, um, you know, God being there who taught me how to study and um, being able to memorize information, which wasn't something that I was really ever good at until like I really started praying and seeking God on different study techniques. So I attribute my degree to the Lord because this is our degree, Jesus. Um, so yeah, so honestly, I, I attribute that to him. And, you know, I don't find that there was probably anything easy about the program. However, um, there are some moments that are harder than others. I'll say it that way. So you have, for my program, we had CCEs, um, which is, I don't even remember the acronym, but after completing like all your assessments. So my, um, one of my, my cohort members actually commented on this video about a year ago and she said CCE stood for clinical, dang, clinic, I think comprehensive clinical exam, I believe. Uh, you know what? I'm not even going to look for it. But yeah, so a clinical exam. Assessment courses, you had to take a, a big assessment to assess whether or not you were skilled in assessments because um, that basically tells them that you're able to go to the next level in your training. We have the comprehensive exam, which is. OK, so real quick, let me explain the CCE. So basically the CCE is something that we had to take with ev with, with um every assessment, I believe. I think it was every assessment and every interviewing course. So for instance, let's say I was in a cognitive assessment class where I was learning how to um, administer psychological assessments, specifically measuring cognitive abilities, such as like intelligence tests, IQ tests, basically. So after taking that course and taking it, they're like, okay, here are a few IQ tests, go home and practice on friends and family. So you go home, you practice on friends and family. All right, so we take exams in it in class. We showed the work in the, um, we had to record ourselves practicing on friends and family. So I did um, my, like my dad, I did my, I remember I did my little cousin Rochelle, shout out to Rochelle. Um, so we had to practice on those individuals. At the end of the semester, we had to sign up to do the CCE. So basically we were, um, we had to administer this test on one of our teaching assistants. And then we were, that was the, the CCE exam, like we, whether or not we could pass that. So again, we had to do that for all assessment courses and all in clinical interviewing courses. A very like think of the hardest psychology exam that you took in undergrad or your master's degree and then put that on steroids so that's basically the comprehensive exam okay so ew look at that face. so basically
<laughs> so the comprehensive exam, no, wait, let me see if I'm going to explain it here. Basically, you're taking an exam on everything that you learned your entire three years of being in school. I didn't tell you guys. So my program was five years. So after three years of being in school, you take your um, comprehensive exam. So those three years of coursework you're studying for all summer or whenever you take your exam, and then they're going to test you on all that information. So that includes every therapy class, every assessment class, every single course. And, um, you know, specifically related to my program, our exam was two days and they were both eight hour days. One test was eight hours of or, no, it was five hours of writing. So I had to write out what we call a case conceptualization. So basically, again, it either had to be family systems, CBT, or um, psychodynamic. They didn't tell us what type of theory we had to utilize until the day of the exam. They gave us a case and said, you know, Jane Doe is experiencing these symptoms. We want you to conceptualize her case and write about it. And so basically, five-hour day of writing that exam on the spot. Um, the second day was eight hours, and so it was a couple of hundred of questions related to, th again, three years of coursework, so I think I took the full um, eight hours, it was either five or eight hours, five to eight hours um, for that exam. I took the whole time on both my exams, I passed in Jesus' name, praise God, um, but it was a very difficult exam. So applying for internship is one of the harder moments as well. So throughout your four years of, um, uh, you know, your doctorate program, you're going to be required to do what we call practicum. And practicum is basically kind of like mini internships. So you're required to work. Um, as well as taking your courses. So your practicum days will probably be like one to two days a week. You're working at a clinical site, you're getting training, you're getting hours. And yeah, it's kind of like a little part-time job that you're getting credit hours for. And so your credit hours goes toward your ability to apply for internship. So internship is kind of like the, the big thing that you're working toward when you take the comprehensive exam, when you pass all your classes. So you want to be able to get to a place where you can solidify a pretty good um, internship. And so internship was my fifth year. And so after, you know, four years of coursework, I applied for internship. So again, the whole internship process is very intense. It's similar. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the medical doctors and their um, internship matches, but we, psychology follows that same exact format. So you apply to various different sites. Um, they let you know if they like you, if you have an interview, they get you to the interview and then we have matches. When I tell y'all like the internship was probably one of the most intense processes of this entire program, like just the application process alone is just so intense. Like you have to write several essays, you have to complete applications. Um, they recommend for you to apply to at least 12 sites. I applied to like 15. And I remember during that time of uh, applying to internships, I was sleep deprived to the point where I showed up to my practicum site and I was like literally like dozing off. Like I mean, I wasn't with any clients or anything, but while I'm writing, I'm like, yo, this cannot be like to at one point I started to sleep talk. And that's how I knew. All right. I got to get home and get some sleep because my supervisor caught me. <laughs> she was like, um, Shonda, I'm, I'm not your mom, but I think you probably need a nap. Uh, she was cool. She she understood like the whole internship process and what I was going through at that time. But it was intense, y'all. I promise you it is intense.
match day. Match day for us was, I, I think, like February the 23rd or something like that. And then that's the day where everybody in the psychology field is notified of whether or not you matched and whether or not you matched with a place that you really want to be at. Now, for me personally, um, I believe myself and a colleague of mine, we had, you know, we, we were putting in the work. We did everything we needed to do in order to solidify a good internship. And we both kind of, I think we had like 10 interviews each. And so we both had like the highest internship um, offers. For Correction, I had about like 13. So, yeah. <laughs> our class and I, I again I attribute that to the Lord as well as like the hard work that I put into it and setting myself apart from my colleagues in terms of like professionalism organizations that I'm involved in uh, other jobs that I had while I was in school so those are the types of things that kind of put you aside so you know I, I hope this information isn't anxiety provoking we're still at the level of you trying to figure out if you want to do um, the doctorate degree or not so please don't allow this to push you away if I can do it I mean, that sounds terrible. I'm not going to say if I can do it, anybody can do it. But I will say people have done it before you, so please don't let this information to kind of like uh, push you away from this. Um, it is difficult, but it's worth it. I'll say that. So I'm just letting you know the different processes related to getting a, your uh, clinical psychology degree. All right, so moving on to the next question. While researching, I saw a few articles about the concern regarding earnings potential compared to the money question. This is one of the most common questions I get. The money question. To the cost. Would you say that's accurate or a little skewed? And so basically this individual is saying, I heard the psychologists don't make a lot of money, right? Um, and so I'm going to be real with you. So when it comes to like the mental health field, therapists and things of that nature, I will say it strongly depends on you, how you market yourself, um, how much of an expert or specialist you are, and whether or not you're putting a demand on how much you're worth. Because at the end of the day, I'm not the type of person that's going to allow anybody to tell me how much I'm worth. Period. And um, I don't care if that's from a hospital. I don't care if that's from um, private practices, whoever. Like, I will be in full entrepreneurship before I tell, before I let somebody tell me that, oh, you're only worth like 70000 You're only worth eighty. Oh, who? Uh, since I didn't spend 11 years in school for you to tell me that. Um, so again, it all depends on how you market yourself. So I'll never forget this day. So um, after completing my master's degree, I was talking to a colleague about potential earnings at the master's level as a therapist. And my colleague was saying, yeah, I make about uh, so and so thousand dollars. It wasn't that much. And um, I was really disappointed. And she was like, well, we don't get into this field to help people. We get into it or we don't get into this field to make money. We get into this field to help people. Um, sis, I'm trying to help people and secure the bag. So uh, I was thinking like, maybe this isn't the right industry for me. And I was actually discouraged. I was trying to figure out, like, if I don't do this, what else am I going to do? I wasted all these years in school just to not make any money. And I knew that that was not the way to go because, again, this was my passion. So I ended up reaching out to one of my mentors, uh, Keisha. I love Keisha. Shout out to Dr. Beattie. Dr. Keisha. Um, and so she was basically saying, Shonda, I mean, I'm in, I was again not in doctor school right now. She was finishing up her program and she was like, I'm at, I'm still at the master's level and I'm making good money. So you can't allow somebody else's experience with salary to determine whether or not you want to continue to pursue this. Because basically Keisha was saying that she didn't allow what other people saw her work to kind of determine what she made. And so again, she was making good money. Um, another black therapist and 
yeah so after that like it was a wrap for me like i knew that this was something i wanted to do and also the lord didn't make me an entrepreneur just for me to work in one job Come like i strongly on. believe number one that i'm going to be a millionaire number two that the lord is going to provide all of my needs number three i feel like it's kind of dumb to like be it's kind of dumb what am i about to say i'm i'm scared because i don't know what i'm about to say y'all Okay, no shade to anybody who does this, but I feel like personally, um, I didn't earn the highest degree possible on earth just to work for somebody else for the rest of my life and to be comfortable and content and working one job. Like, no, sis, like you have this degree for a reason, use it. So I plan to have a private practice. I plan to teach a little bit. I plan on doing. Do y'all see that prophecy? Come on. Okay, so um, now let me, let me just, uh, Okay, real quick. Th again, this was like two years ago when I made this video. At that time, I did not know like how much, uh, like the earning potential for a psychologist. Because the reality is like I did hear about colleagues not making as much money, whether that is in the hospital setting or a community mental health setting or what have you. Like I I've heard about that. But I could not allow that to determine my worth. So I'm going to tell y'all what I did. I'm going to put y'all in the game. I started to build up my brand before I even started a private practice. Before there was ever an Oasis Wellness Hub, my page, my Instagram page, my um, Minds of the Culture, that's when I first started doing media. Like you can literally Google my name and the first thing that'll pop, that's going to pop up is like interviews that I did being featured in essence, like, you know, all these things are things that I strategically did in order to build up my brand so that when I did open my practice, my private practice, I can charge my worth and not second guess about it. And I have clients who have no issue with paying my worth because I was able to build up my brand before ever launching a private practice. So what I'm saying here uh, was prophetic. I forgot I even said that in, in this video. I said I wanted to open a private practice. That deserves a whole... That deserves a whole praise break right there, sis, because you're right there. You're living it. You're living in the promises of God in this moment. And uh, everything just came back full circle. So I'm, I got chills a little bit. Uh, but but um, again, I have my private practice. Um, you know, just, I'm not going to say too much, but um, I've only been full time in since March. And I'm almost at six figures already. But that's my year to date. Like almost there. So you can't allow anybody in this field to tell you like, oh, well, you're only going to be making this much as a psychologist. No, like I'm, I'm almost there and the year ain't even out yet. Like, uh, so you, so you cannot allow other people to, to determine that. Um, all glory to God. Per courses like there are a lot of things that you can do to supplement your income and i again i strongly believe that i'm going to be a millionaire in jesus name so um i do not believe that this is just a, a career that you you spend so much money getting that degree and then you're just left with pennies make you're, you're making pennies like absolutely not i refuse to live that life so again you know if you want some more information on how to make money as a psychologist i'm researching it myself um but i'm an entrepreneur so i'm going to figure it out um, 
and granted, like, I, I'm not making no chunk change right now. Like, I'm, you know, doing pretty well for myself. But again, I'm still early career. Um, my professors were pretty open with us about their salary. So they made about mid 100s. But like I said, like, I'm not going to be satisfied at six figures. I'm going to be a millionaire. And so, again, it like, it all goes back to how you brand and market yourself. Mm-hmm. My sister's a marketing and branding expert, so she's really been helping with me with kind of um, helping me with my brand and, you know, email marketing and all that great stuff and kind of presenting yourself as a specialist in your field. Also, um, my girl Jillian, who helps with some of my... Not, I'm sorry, to correct what I meant. So not presenting yourself as a specialist in your field, but presenting yourself as an expert in your field because you don't want to misrepresent yourself. So I am not a specialist in anything yet, um, but, you know, you can present yourself as someone who has a lot of knowledge and things. So just wanted to correct that. Content, things of that nature. So it's all about how you kind of, you, you brand yourself. Like don't allow other people to tell you what you're worth, period. Mm-hmm. All right, so... I believe that that was my last question. And I want you all to, again, subscribe to my channel. Please leave a comment because I want to do another. Listen, y'all. When I tell y'all, I first of all, I did not watch that. I haven't watched that. So um, it was literally like me re-watching it, watching it for the first time with you all. Um, man, let me tell y'all, I'm, I'm proud of myself. I really am. I'm proud of myself for... Um, allowing myself not to be, um, I guess, motivated by fear when it comes to being in this mental health role. And I can see how other people are walking in my footsteps. I get endless DMs about, you know, Dr. Shonda, I did the steps that you were talking about and I was just admitted until into my, my school and I'm just starting my psychology degree. I'm just starting my doctorate program. So many times I get emails like that and DMs like that. And I'm just so forever grateful uh, that God used me as a, a resource. And I really feel as though, you know, there there's a special anointing for stuff like this. And I, I thank God for the anointing to do it and to also, again, pave the way for so many people who are pursuing degrees in mental health. Um, I'm just appreciative. I'm appreciative. I, I love it. All right, y'all. So it has been real. Do me a favor. Make sure that you're commenting on this video. Make sure that you are uh, leaving a review on the audio version and to post it in your story. If y'all have more questions about how to be a psychologist, making money as a psychologist, as a licensed clinical psychologist. Because at that time, I was not licensed. Your girl was licensed now. So, uh, you know, the, the blessings is a little different. Um, <laughs> but no, like, and, and I'm still doing what I'm doing regarding like speaking. I don't think I talked about that at all as a source of income. But when I tell y'all there is, there are people out there pulling on our information and our knowledge, especially since the pandemic, like people want to hear from psychologists, people want to hear from mental health professionals. And I don't, I tip, I don't do any, um, or I'm not going to say I don't do them. I'm going to say I haven't done any pro bono speaking engagements this year. I just haven't. Like there, there's a need for people, like people are like reaching out to us. So that's just another way. Um, if y'all want a part two on that, let me know. Let me know. That was fun watching. Um, but it's been real, y'all. Don't forget, send me your questions via DM at Paging Dr. Shonda on Instagram. Send me those questions because I would love to answer them on the podcast. And don't forget, you have the power to create the emotions that you want to experience. All right, y'all. God bless. And I'll talk to y'all next week. Bye.
All right, what's going on? It's your girl, Lala Shepard. Boss Britt, the most lit. What's up? It's your girl, DJ Excel, and you are tuned into the Progress Report podcast. Okay, and if you're a fan of hip-hop news and culture, make sure y'all like and subscribe to our podcast, The Progress Report. Brought to you exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip-hop, powered by creators.